Hello there, I'm Benny. And I'm Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you about it. Awesome. Um, Kyle, how's it going? Pretty good. Doing all right. How are you today, Benny? Well, we just wrapped up our latest session of our Dungeons and Dragons game and decided to keep that nerd high going by recording <laughs> a podcast about Doctor Who. What better way to keep the nerd going than, <laughs> than following Dungeons and Dragons with Doctor Who? Indeed. So here on the Doctor's Watcher, we we try not to limit the types of sci-fi that we intake into our lives. <laughs> and in addition to Doctor Who, there's another show I've been watching recently. Oh, yeah? And that... I think I can guess what it might be. ...is Star Trek Picard. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I wanted to just mention that here and say that it is awesome so far. I have seen the first four episodes, and I believe Benny has seen the first three. First three. So, I am. I guess we should we should say that this is a potential spoiler warning if you've not seen Star Trek Picard. Yeah, but as usual, I would you know, highly episodes, recommend it. These episodes come out like well after uh, the, the shows or whatever we're talking about are on. Right. So this you current had your chance. episode that we're recording is set to be released on April 25. So Picard is probably like well over and done by now. If you haven't watched it yet, then then yeah, you don't need a spoiler warning. You guys probably know more about it than we do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been really glad to see it and I've enjoyed what I've seen so far. Uh, I I won't spoil anything beyond the first three episodes because Benny hasn't seen four yet. But I have been very glad to get you know a quick glimpse of Data again and the Enterprise D, mm-hmm. the start of the first app. It has been interesting to see how they're dealing with the sort of major changes to the universe that J.J. Abrams implemented in his movie. Even though his movies were all in a separate universe, he still kind of made some pretty major changes in the original. That's true. Romulus. Right. And Picard is very much... Picard, the character, and the show are very much dealing with the aftermath of all of that. And, you know, obviously I haven't seen Beyond the First Four Eps yet, but I hear that There are some other familiar faces that we're going to be seeing at some point during the series. Mm. Looking forward to that. I know Jonathan Frakes directed a few episodes, so that's always fun. But Picard is not why we're here today. No, we must travel back further in time. This is not the retired Admiral's Watcher. (laughs) Yet. Maybe we'll launch that podcast next. (laughs) But today... We are here to talk about Doctor Who, and specifically Season 1, Episode 12, The Edge of Destruction. Yes. So, new serial, new writer. This serial is written by David Whitaker, who was actually the show's first story editor. 
Mm. for the first 51 episodes. Uh, I looked all this up on Wikipedia. I'm not just, I don't just know all this. Or does he? (laughs) In addition to being the story editor for these first 51 episodes, he also wrote a number of scripts in addition to this particular serial. So we will definitely be hearing his name again. That is, as long as I keep remembering to credit the author <laughs> at the start of each serial. So his last name is Whitaker. Yeah. Is that just a coincidence? As far as I know, yeah. Okay. I guess I haven't actually looked into that, but okay. I, yeah, I assume that's just a coincidence. We'll just say with confidence that it's a coincidence, and if it's not, then we will just cut this entire part. <laughs> Turns out that David Whitaker also published the first novelization of a Doctor Who serial. Cool. Which was a book called Doctor Who in an Exciting Adventure with the Daleks, <laughs> which is the novelization of the serial we just finished. It's interesting that his novelization was for a different serial. Yeah, it was interesting. Something, one that somebody else wrote. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was kind of strange, but yeah, interesting as well. And I love the naming convention, Doctor oh, yeah. Who in an Exciting Adventure with the Daleks. That's so cute. Yeah. I, I, really, I really enjoy that. I mean, you know, Doctor Who's for kids. Yeah, for sure. Of course, we know it has to be a novelization of the serial that we just finished, because obviously at the end of that serial, the Daleks were all dead. Uh-huh. So clearly, we're never going to get any more new stories about them. Anything involving Daleks has to be that one epi- or that one serial. Right. Anything I'm in- not quite sure how that <laughs> one serial like set up the whole all the fan obsession with the Daleks, like somehow people think they say exterminate, but they never actually said exterminate. Well, it's kind of like, you know, Vader never says, Luke, I am your father. That's true. It's just one of those misquoted, misremembered lines. I'm sure that's what it is. Yeah, it's gotta be. (laughs) So it has been a little while since we've recorded. Mm -hmm. Benny, do you remember our Cliff Dangler from the previous episode? So there was something wrong with the TARDIS, the, the up and downy things. Like, it was making a weird noise, and up and downy things stopped going up and down. I think they were stuck in the down position. Um, and then, like, I think it seemed to crash. Um, yeah, something along those lines. We start off with some kind of bad-sounding TARDIS noises. quite sure how to describe the noise. It's not quite an explosion, but it's like, it's not the good TARDIS noise. (laughs) Uh, So we hear some of these kind of bad TARDIS noises, and we see a flash of light, and everyone passes out and falls over as some spooky sci-fi music starts to play. And Barbara is the first one to wake up after this happens. She kind of gets herself up off the ground and just kind of starts wandering around the control room a little bit, looking at things until she sees Ian and she says, Mr. Chesterton. Ian Chesterton? Huh. And then Susan walks in and she looks almost zombie-like or kind of drunk or something. It's not quite clear. And... She says, I know you. 
But then she immediately starts complaining about a terrible headache and a neck ache. But this headache and the neck ache fades quickly, and they keep kind of looking around the control room, and they find Susan's grandfather passed out on the floor, and he actually has a cut on his head. So Barbara sends Susan off to get some water and ointment to try to treat this head wound that the doctor has apparently received. And at this point, Barbara realizes that Ian has awoken now. Hmm. And Ian is also acting very confused. No one seems clear about what's going on. So does Susan seem to recognize Barbara and Ian? Um, I I guess if she's looking pretty zombie-like, maybe she doesn't recognize anything. Yeah, well, she she says, I know you, so I, but she still seems confused. So I, I think she, like, she feels like she recognizes them, but can't, can't quite place them or, you know, can't figure out who they actually are, but they seem familiar. Mm-hmm. That is the impression I got. So Ian has woken up and he and Barbara both head over to the doctor and kind of check him out. Ian thinks the doctor's probably going to be all right. He says the cut doesn't seem very deep. Mm. So, you know, probably it's going to be fine. And at this point, Susan comes back into the control room. She left, you know, to get water and ointment. And she returns. And as soon as she returns into the control room, she gasps in horror. (gasps) As she sees that the TARDIS doors are open. What? Like the main front doors of the TARDIS. And she says, The doors! Well, they can't open on their own, they can't! Ian and Barbara try to come up with some suggestions for what could have happened or how the doors opened. Perhaps her grandfather opened them before he cut his head, or perhaps the ship crashed and the doors were forced open. But Susan shoots these suggestions down. She says her grandfather wouldn't have done that, and she also apparently says that it's impossible for the ship to crash. Hmm. Even though it's clearly junk. Right. Yeah, that doesn't get any further explanation. It's just, it's impossible to crash. It's nice, though. Must make insurance pretty cheap. Yeah, that's a good point. Since these doors are open, they start to worry about maybe if something has actually gone inside the ship. It's not really clear, like, what this could have been or anything, but, you know, I guess at this point they're just kind of grasping at straws. No one really knows anything about what's happening. There's something on the ship. So, yeah, we worry about, like, maybe there's something on the ship. We do get a moment of some cool Doctor Who technology when... Susan brings the bandage and the ointment for the doctor. Uh, Susan brings the bandage up to Barbara, and Barbara asks about it, and Susan explains. She says, The colored part is the ointment. You'll find the color disappearing. It goes into the wound. When the bandage is completely white, it means the wound is healed. Hmm. So the bandage itself is... You know, it's like a white base, but then it has all these dark vertical stripes all around it. Mm -hmm. Like, as if the Doctor was in a bad fight movie and belonged to Zebra Clan or something. (laughs) So Barbara wraps the bandage around the Doctor's head. I like that whole disappearing ointment shows how far cured you are. 
It just seems like a fun detail. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Like, you know, why bother wearing the bandage longer than you need to? It almost has like a Willy Wonka vibe to it <laughs> somehow. Like if Willy Wonka had a hospital instead of a chocolate factory. Yeah. Willy Wonka's hospital. Probably not quite as entertaining a children's book, but could still be fun. Willy Wonka's health factory. (laughs) Okay, who knows? Everything you eat in this room is medicine. (laughs) So Ian actually heads toward the doors of the ship as if he's going to leave, but the doors close on their own. But as soon as he starts walking away from the doors back toward the console, the doors open again. And I think he does this a couple of times. He walks toward the doors and they close. He walks away from the doors and they open. Which kind of made me think, like, maybe the TARDIS just wants to air out the control room. (laughs) Like, how long has it been since the doctor's given it a good deep cleaning? The TARDIS didn't want to say anything, but these (laughs) humans and Gallifreyans are getting a little ripe. Yeah, I mean, we don't know about Gallifreyan biology too much, but, like, humans will start to smell after a while. (laughs) The TARDIS probably just needs to, like, air out the humans. (laughs) So, Susan blurts out... I'm gonna try the controls! uh, I don't know... If you've read many Sherlock Holmes stories, Benny? I've read one or two or all of them. I've read all of them. <laughs> all right. I've only, I haven't read all of them yet, but I'm working on it. Uh, but yeah, the original Sherlock Holmes stories written by Arthur Conan Doyle, there's a certain word that ACD sometimes uses when his characters say something, and whatever they're saying is just, like, bursting out of their lips. It's a word... We no longer commonly associate with speaking anymore. I think I know which word you mean. And when I sometimes read Sherlock Holmes stories out loud to my partner, we always laugh when the word is used. I imagine you do. I do think it's the word that's most appropriate for how Susan speaks here, though. Okay, I don't know if I can make eye contact while you say this. (laughs) That word is ejaculate. Susan ejaculates. I'm going to try the controls. But as soon as she approaches the control panel, she cries out in pain, and she passes out. Ian starts freaking out a little bit at this point, wondering, What's going on here? But as the doctor starts to show signs of waking up, Barbara tells Ian to take Susan to bed. You know, Susan, who's unconscious now. Mm -hmm. So Ian picks her up. He literally, like, picks Susan up off the floor like, throws her over his shoulder in a fireman carry and heads out of the control room. So the doctor wakes up, and as he wakes up, he starts complaining to Barbara about a pain in his neck. And Barbara looks concernedly into the middle distance, Mm. presumably remembering that Susan had also had a pain Mm. in her neck. Mm. And we cut to Ian carrying Susan into a room. She's still over his shoulder, and he pushes a button on the wall, and this cool lounge bed thing, like a futuristic, like, Murphy bed lounge, folds down out of the wall. Cool. 
and he lays Susan down on it. Very futuristic. And he heads over to the water machine to get some water. Uh, I guess it's actually the food machine, I think, not just the water machine. So it's like the same machine that they got bacon and eggs from earlier. Bacon and eggs. 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 But there's a big button on it marked water. And, you know, it's, I described earlier, it's a big box with a slanted front, and there's lots of dials and buttons and lights. And when you push the water button, for example, then a panel will slide open, and inside there's, like, a plastic bag of water. Uh, cool. Packaged similar to, similarly to, like, how in some countries milk comes in a, a plastic bag that you, like, cut the corner off and stuff. Yep, yep. Yeah. Apparently, that's how the TARDIS delivers its water. Very cool. Um, it's actually more efficient. Yeah, that's true. Wastes less resources. Just Americans can't figure out bag water. <laughs> how to cut corners milk, off I bags. Guess, in the real world, yeah. That's how the water machine is supposed to work, at least. When Ian tries it, he pushes the water button, and like it beeps and flashes a light like it's got an error. And the the panel doesn't slide open, but he actually reaches down and slides the panel open himself, and sure enough, finds a bag of water inside, so it's all good. Uh, I don't know if you want to be drinking that water. <laughs> seems to be something wrong with the TARDIS. He brings this water back into Susan's bedroom, where he finds her awake, sitting up in her bed lounge thing, and holding a pair of scissors threateningly like a knife. Hmm. And she has kind of this crazed look on her face, and she asks him who he is. And he tries to reach for the scissors to take them from her, and she kind of motions with them, and he backs off. Mm -hmm. And then Susan just starts screaming in pain, presumably in pain, and she starts stabbing the bed with the scissors over and over and over until she collapses and drops the scissors to the ground. Hmm. We cut to the next scene, and in this scene, the first thing we see is the same pair of scissors, but they're, like, on a table now. Mm -hmm. And the camera kind of pans away from the scissors up toward the rest of the scene, and... In this scene is Barbara, who is accusing the doctor of not knowing what the fuck is happening. Seems accurate. And yeah, it turns out she's right. Justified. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on. But the doctor tells Ian, when Ian wonders, keeps wondering, you know, where are we? Where are we? Mm -hmm. The doctor tells Ian that... Where is not as important as why, young man? Hmm. And he goes off to check the fault locator again. The faultometer? <laughs> maybe it was just the fault locator. Yeah, fault locator. He asks Ian to come help him with it, so Ian does. But not before the doctor asks both Ian and Barbara if they've been like messing with the controls or if they've touched anything, which, of course, they deny. They have not touched the controls or changed anything. Mm-hmm. The doctor says that he knows that Susan wouldn't. She'd know better. And Barbara again wonders if maybe something might have gotten into the ship. 
like an animal or a man or another intelligence. And the doctor just completely dismisses this, saying that it's not logical. Barbara replies, No, it isn't. But does it have to be? I mean, things aren't always very logical, are they? Hmm. But the doctor still says that he has no time for these absurd theories. <laughs> well, at least one thing hasn't changed. <laughs> you know, I was reading online recently. I saw somebody talking about some of the current Doctor Who episodes. And without going into too much detail, that would potentially spoiler our podcast 20 years from now. <laughs> Somebody online was complaining about certain aspects of the Doctor's personality and being, like, rude and short and stuff and saying that that's not part of the Doctor at all. And I just read that and thought, <laughs> that is truly spoken like somebody who has never watched William Hartnell. <laughs> That'd be kind of interesting if it is a sort of callback. Yeah, that would be interesting. The earlier Doctor. Hi, Kyle here. Thanks for listening to The Doctor's Watcher. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean a lot to us if you would leave a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about us. But aside from that, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel welcome to drop us a line by emailing thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at doctorwatcher. Thanks for listening. Back to the show. So Ian asks Barbara to keep an eye on Susan while he helps the doctor with the fault locator and whatnot. And he also asks Barbara to not tell Susan about their idea that something might be in the ship. Mm. Susan, of course, sneaks in behind the two of them while this conversation is happening and grabs the scissors off the table and sneaks back out having overheard everything Ian said and, you know, not being seen by Ian and Barbara. So she knows that... Or it probably sounds to her like Ian doesn't trust her or is keeping secrets from her. Yeah, something like that. So Ian heads off to help the doctor with the fault locator, and Barbara heads into Susan's bedroom to check up on her, and she asks Susan how she's feeling... And gets no response. Susan just ignores her. Susan does reply when Barbara asks if she knows who she is. Mm -hmm. Susan says, of course I do. You're Barbara. Susan does, however, end up threatening Barbara with the scissors when she reveals that she overheard them. Mm -hmm. And But Barbara does manage to, to get the scissors away from her. And they kind of calm down a little bit. And they start talking about what Susan had overheard. Barbara and Susan are both, at this point, worried that maybe something could have gotten into the ship. But Barbara doesn't know, like, where it would hide. Hmm. Which, I guess, doesn't quite make sense to me, because, like, the TARDIS is huge. They haven't explicitly searched it yet, so probably there's plenty of places for it to hide, but sure, we don't know where it could hide. Well, at least most of the rooms that we've seen so far seem to be straightforward. Like, there's not a lot of, uh, like, you know, room behind couches. That's true. Or, 
under a sofa or something. That's true. Like, you can just kind of look in the room and pretty quickly take in everything that's in there. Yeah. Susan, however, when Barbara is thinking about where it might hide, Susan actually has the perfect answer. She says, In one of us. Hmm. Uh-huh. And who, who is feeling who, a pain in the neck? Who could that be? But Barbara dismisses this. She's like, No. We must stop talking about this. <laughs> Can you imagine what the others would say if we told them? They'd simply laugh at us. Which, to be fair, they have been fairly dismissive of uh, yeah, that's Barbara true. and Susan in the past. In, yeah, Barbara and Susan in particular. About this point... Ian comes into the bedroom, and I guess he and the doctor have finished their check of the fault locator because he tells Barbara and Susan that basically the fault locator didn't locate any faults. So the doctor has decided that the fault must be located somewhere outside the ship. Hmm. So he's going to turn on the scanner. But can the fault locator locate faults within itself? <laughs> How do you know if the fault locator is faulty? So Ian, Ian tells them of the plan of using the scanner to see what's outside the ship. And Susan flips out about this. She starts screaming, no, no, he mustn't. Don't touch. And she rushes out into the control room. Um... I think the reason that she's so worried is because how she kind of like felt pain and passed out earlier when she got near the control panel. Mm-hmm. She's worried that a similar sort of thing is going to happen to the doctor when he goes near the control panel. Yeah, the TARDIS seems to have a mind of its own. So she rushes out into the control room. I did notice incidentally in this scene that we can see that the doctor's bandage must be working because it's no longer like zebra clan stripes. Now it's mostly just a white bandage with like maybe two or three dark stripes on it. Mm. So I thought that was kind of cool. You only need to heal two or three more hit points and then you'll be back (laughs) up to max. Yep. So in spite of Susan's desperate warning, the doctor flips a switch on the control panel and the scanner turns on And nothing bad happens to him. Hmm. We all look up at the scanner, and the scanner shows an image of, like, a meadow with some trees and, like, hills in the distance and clouds in the sky and, like, a little farmhouse. And Barbara says, that could be England. But the doctor doesn't think that that's what is outside, he thinks it's just a photograph. Hmm. At this uh, point... It's just a screensaver. Right, yeah. <laughs> the TARDIS doors actually open again, and outside of the doors, we can see a blank white soundstage, hmm. and we hear this horrible groaning and wheezing sound. I'll insert the audio, and I'm not going to try to do it here. Is it like a biological groaning and wheezing or like a mechanical sound? Um, it's, I think it's a TARDIS groaning and wheezing. Okay. I'm not actually sure if that's biological or mechanical. Interesting. Kind of sounds in between. Interesting. You know, the TARDIS sound in general. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah, this is like TARDIS groaning and wheezing. Who's the dog I'll do it! Ian goes to close the doors. He heads over to the control panel to try to close the doors. Mm-hmm. But the doors actually close on their own before he can hit the door close button. Then the scanner changes pictures. It switches from this like meadow farm image to a picture of a weird jungle, which Susan says is... The doctor agrees. He confirms that it is indeed the planet Quinnis of the fourth universe. Of the fourth universe, right? There's at least four universes. I wonder which one we're on. That's a good question. He didn't. He didn't clarify that. <laughs> but this this planet Quinnis showing on the scanner is definitely not what's outside the ship. Yeah, it really. It's just their uh, vacation photographs uh, screensaver. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why they haven't realized. They just need to, like, move the mouse around a little bit. (laughs) The scanner then actually kind of switches through a few images pretty rapidly. First, it shows a crater-pocked planet. Cool. Then it shows, like, a spiral arm of a galaxy. Cool. And then it shows just a flash of light, and then it turns itself off. Hmm. Ian asks the doctor what that was all about and the doctor says oh don't you know i thought you might be able to explain it barbara wants to open the doors again and see what's outside again but now the doctor thinks what is inside madam is most important at the moment this line confuses barbara and ian both and me because the doctor had been so insistent earlier that nothing could have gotten into the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. You know, he's completely dismissive of that theory. I'm still thinking about what Susan said about there being something inside one of right. them. Right. And the doctor says, what's inside? And yeah, clearly he believes that inside the TARDIS, we have just the four people. And it turns out what the doctor is actually doing here is accusing Barbara and Ian of sabotaging the ship. Sabotage. Hmm. So when he says what's inside, like inside the TARDIS, he means like these two interlopers. Oh. The two of you. Uh, So yeah, he basically accuses them of sabotaging the ship. Sabotage. And knocking him and Susan both unconscious. And Barbara is like, fuck you, old man. We saved your fucking life. That's right. She says, How dare you? Do you realize, you stupid old man, Whoa. that you'd have died in the cave of skulls if Ian hadn't made fire for oh, you? I, I... And then she says, And what about what we went through against the Daleks? Not just for us, but for you and Susan too. And all because you tricked us into going down to the city. But I, I... Hey, continuity. And then she says, this is only the third serial, so those are the only two instances I can reference so far. <laughs> yes. And she's about to storm out of the room in anger when she screams. Because she notices that the clocks and everybody's watches have all stopped working. 
What kind of clocks does the TARDIS have? Uh, just a 12-hour clock? Basically, yeah. And it, I guess it wasn't really like a clock face. It was more more of just like the gear workings. Mm. Um, but yeah, apparently it's their timepiece. And it has stopped. Everyone looks at their... Well, everyone, Barbara and Ian, look at their watches. They're also stopped. And... I guess this is basically just kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's, you know, one thing too far. Barbara screams again as she, like, takes her watch off and, like, throws it at the wall. Oh, whoa. And then just breaks down sobbing. And Ian says, you you can't blame us for this, Doctor. But the Doctor's not in the room anymore. He left. Hmm. The doctor strolls back into the room a moment later, carrying a tray with four beverage glasses on oh, it. boy. Saying that he's decided to give everyone some more time to think, since we're all somewhat overwrought. Uh-huh. Ian, I don't trust him. Yeah. Ian's like... I wish I could understand you, doctor. One moment you're abusing us, and the next... You're playing the perfect butler. But Barbara's just like, fuck off, I'm going to bed. And she leaves the room. Hmm. Susan asks her grandfather to make up with Barbara and then leaves the room herself. And then we get, I guess, sort of a barbarian moment with Ian standing up for Barbara when he also tells the doctor that he should apologize to her. Mm Mm-hmm. He says, Doctor, very strange things are happening. I feel we're in a very dangerous position. This is no time for personal quarrels. I think you should go and apologize to Barbara at once. Well said. The doctor replies, I'm afraid we have no time for codes and manners, and I certainly don't underestimate the dangers if they exist. But I must have time to think. I must think. Rash action is worse than no action at all. Hmm? I like his... (laughs) But Ian's like... I don't see anything rash in apologising to Barbara. Yeah, you you can do both. You can think about things and apologise to Barbara. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. But, you know, we, I guess... We do get Ian standing up for Barbara a little bit, so that was nice. The doctor says that you need my knowledge and ability to apply it, and then you need my experience to gain the fullest results. And when Ian asks if the results are for good or evil, the doctor has the perfect first doctor response. He says, One man's law is another man's crime. Steve Barnick Chesterton. Sleep on it. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Ian, Ian thinks about this for a minute. We cut to... So would that make the Doctor a true neutral? I'm trying to think, like, where that falls. I suppose so. Because he's basically just dismissing the entire structure of law and crime in one tweet there. One man's laws, another man's crime, so it doesn't fucking matter what I do. Mm-hmm. At least that's kind of what I took from it. That's what it sounds like to me, too. 
so we cut to the bedroom and Susan is in one of the bedrooms apologizing to Barbara on the doctor's behalf, which I thought was nice of Susan, but like, it's not really her place necessarily, which Barbara basically acknowledges. Mm-hmm. Barbara's like, you know, it wasn't you. You should go get some sleep, essentially. Mm. So, yeah, I thought it was nice of Susan, but I think really it needs to be the doctor who apologizes to Barbara. Of course. Yeah. We cut to later. We can tell it's later because instead of just being a hard cut, the scene kind of fades to black and then fades back up. And the magic of editing. And the doctor is in Barbara's bedroom checking on her. Mm-hmm. And when she appears to be sound asleep, he chuckles to himself and leaves the room and he heads into Ian's bedroom and checks on Ian, who also seems to be sound asleep. So the doctor chuckles to himself again and he heads back out into the control room and walks up to the control panel and he starts looking at all the buttons on the control panel. He has this look on his face like he's trying to decide which buttons he wants to press, and he kind of shakes his button-pressing hands and fingers out to get them ready for some great button-pressing action Mm -hmm. when a pair of hands reaches in from off-camera and grabs him around the neck, strangling him. And this scene fades to black as the title, Next Episode, The Brink of Disaster appears on screen, and credits start to roll. Okay, so this one was the edge of... Destruction. Destruction. So we go from the edge of destruction to the brink of disaster. Pretty exciting naming convention here. <laughs> I mean, uh, we're getting closer and closer to something bad. The the precipice of bad shit happening. Uh, that's, yeah, that sounds like it fits the pattern. The... That something bad's gonna happen? The... Not, the not as creative right now. Cliff of... Dangling. <laughs> dangling into badness. Um, yeah, so that was this episode. So is it vampires? Is it space vampires? That's always space vampires. <laughs> we had people complaining about a pain in the neck. <laughs> they didn't show up on the, the scanners or they somehow managed to get into the ship. That's true, you yeah. can't see a vampire in a mirror. Probably can't see him on a scanner either, <laughs> I would imagine. It's always space vampires. Although one one interesting thing that we kind of talked a little bit offline about is how our previous serial, the Daleks Uh was such a great one. (laughs) We really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Yes. And our, our typical pattern of Dr. Who serials is sci-fi and then a historical and then a sci-fi and then a historical. Uh Uh-huh. And I guess we haven't really established the pattern yet at this point. I suppose not really. But I think I think you were saying eventually that's kind of what they tried to do. Yeah, that's that was my impression. And of course, our only experience so far with the historical uh-huh. is the one with the cave people. Yep. 
which was, shall we say, not as good as the Daleks. <laughs> it was entertaining <laughs> in its own strange technology-based way. Indeed. And so you were telling me the other day that you were a little bit worried about going from such a great <laughs> sci-fi serial into a potentially not-so-great historical serial. I, I mean, yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But, of course, as it turns out, like, this is apparently the time that we're breaking the pattern, and the Edge of Destruction does not seem to be historical. Nope. It seems to be space vampires. Indeed. I know I said that I don't like the uh, historical ones as much, but you do make them entertaining. <laughs> well, I, I do try. I mean, even the dumb ones, we can just kind of laugh about how dumb they are. <laughs> so, there's that. Yeah, as long as you don't get too sick of jokes about developing new technologies. <laughs> I think we make those jokes for, you know, any serial, not just the... We probably had some, some technology jokes in the Daleks. I feel like we did. I'm, I'm sure we must have. <laughs> cool, well... I think that's all I've got for the Edge of Destruction. All right. Well, I guess we'll see you listeners next next two weeks. Find out what will happen to the TARDIS when it is on the brink of disaster. Bye. Bye. Hi, Kyle here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit 23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23, at gmail.com. Thanks to Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com, or on Twitter at doctorwatcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. Blame us for this, Doctor. Where is he? I've decided we need more time to think. We're all somewhat overwrought. <laughs>